podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and thanks for tuning in to the first podcast of 2022 from ourselves at Glasgow's Green aka Gigpod. Now it's the biggest event of the year already and we're well aware of the high standards that have been hit. But the performers are ready to go and the darts are on later as well so we need to get this done before Wade v Smith kicks off. So are we fresh and fighting fit from a boozy Christmas? No. But are we ready to give you, the fans, an entertaining show anyway? Also no. I'm Stevie and I'm joined by Rizzo as we discuss the season so far. Hello John and how was your Christmas and New Year? What did you do? Uh, hello Stevie, Happy New Year to all the listeners. Uh, not a lot because everything's shut, but I did, uh, and I had to work as well for most of it, but uh, I did uh, drink copious amounts of beer, so that was uh, good and I hope you enjoyed your Christmas as well, Stephen. I sure did, before I talk about mine, what beer? Did you uh, divulge in? Uh, Pabst, of course. Oh, and Brewdog as well, unfortunately, which I'm ashamed to say that I quite like. They are viewed as the enemy of the beer biz, are they not? They are, but they do make some nice beers if they want to uh, send me some. Great, great guys. Except they're not. <laughs> no, I had a, a good enough Christmas, and of course I have been watching the wonderful darts. My one, I was just at my aunt's for Christmas for New Year's. Uh, I just went at my grand yesterday, which was a good time. And I didn't actually drink hers, but I did eat loads, John. You'll be unsurprised to know. Oh, it's Christmas. You're allowed to do that at Christmas. It's Christmas every day of the week for me then, in that case, John. <laughs> but I, uh, regarding the darts, what about the standard of the worlds? It's been incredible. It's been fantastic. It's always fantastic. Uh, the world's the, the best sporting event of the year. Even better than football, in my opinion. But uh, no, it's uh, been great, and I hope that not at all miserable Gary Anderson somehow manages to win. I don't know if he will, but uh, I hope he somehow manages to cope with drinking 50 cups of coffee a day and can manage to hit enough doubles. What has been the game of the tournament for yourself so far? I thought the last night for the standard between Smith and Price was utterly ridiculous, to be honest. I thought that was great. I thought uh, Rob Cross against... Daryl Gurney was very good as well. And the best one I think there was Price versus Kim Hybricks. And uh, I think the second or third round when Kim Hybricks really should have won. And the two of them were at each other all the time. And they had needle. It was extremely amusing. But no, the darts is uh, sensational. And it's just a pity that Gigpod guest, uh, Big John Henderson, wasn't in it this year. But he did become the World uh, World Cup winner, of course. So he's always got that in his CV. Scotland's greatest sportsman indeed, John, after uh, Callum McGregor, of course. But we are going to talk about Callum McGregor and Celtic in general, because this is not the Ali Pali is Green podcast, is it, John? We are going to take your mind all the way back to June when Ange was brought in. Now, I remember when Ange Postacoglu was appointed back in June the 10th, and yourself and Spunkphone did a pod on it. John, if you can cash your mind back to then as well, when you did that podcast with Spunkphone, what was your general feelings on Ange at the time when he was appointed? I was surprised, really, and how it was such a big gamble. 
Brennan, a guy who'd never managed in Europe before, there was like apart from like unless you're some sort of quote unquote football hipster, nobody really would have heard of him. It was a name that really came out of the blue after that ridiculously long pursuit of Eddie Howe. And I think really me and Spunkphone were just surprised and a bit concerned about what was going to happen. And I think some of those concerns have sort of been like came true and we'll go on like more and your verdict on him later. But no, it was really just surprise and after the shock, Eddie Howe, I think, all of us were a bit wary about how it took so long to get Eddie Howe. And we still hadn't got over the, the line that, oh, something might have happened to you. And then, like, that just, that was announced one day, and then, like, it came out a couple of hours later that all of a sudden we were interested in Ange. So, it was really a feeling of shock, I'd say. When Ange was appointed as well, I mean, he said all the right things at the time, said that the opportunity that he was given was one of the greatest honours in football, the responsibility to lead this football club into the future is one that he would cherish dearly. said he'd be doing everything he could to get, you know, have a great club back and top um, and at the same time deliver the kind of football which the fans would appreciate he wanted to entertain the fans and he also wanted to win the objectives that he set himself and he basically wanted to begin working that as soon as possible when you look at what he's actually done to achieve that I would say that he's delivered so far ultimately the main goal was winning that title and bringing that back home to Celtic Park but what was your like expectations for Celtic this season when you look at the shambles of last season, we missed out on Eddie Howe, of course. We'd just given a contract to Lee Griffiths. We gave one at the time to Anthony Ralston, who <laughs> it was like it was just so unadventurous at that time, of course. And then we were hearing about like guys like Aya, Edward and Cham, Christie all wanted out. And a lot of like players generally weren't happy at the club at that time. A lot of the fans, it was just a real malaise in the summer. Well, didn't they have the highest expectations, same as you? And really what I thought sort of been has happened that I'm not sure if we're good enough yet to challenge to win the league. We have put up a fight, that's good. But uh, no I was I didn't think we'd win the league. I thought it would take time for Andrew's methods to get going. A lot of people were saying like it gets better in his second season and you can't really have that at Celtic, although judging by what's happened in the last few days I think there's no doubt Andrew's going to be our manager next season unless somebody would just have the most unbelievably bad run of results after the break, but we'll talk more about that later on. Not was the same as you. I was more focusing about us and Rangers, but I thought that I, I didn't think we would finish. Like I don't think I thought we'd finish like third or fourth or fifth. I saw some people saying that in the media, and that was never going to happen, because even though this is a rebuilding year, say, like are still stronger than every other club in the division, apart from the Rangers. So no, I sort of shared your concern that it was going to be a struggle this season, and I think the early results showed that it was a bit of a struggle. Before we talk about the competitive games, let's also remember we were coming back out of the second lockdown and everything as well. John, before we got back to Celtic Park, um, to remind the GigPod listeners who might not know, you actually got to meet Ange. You got to talk to him and then CEO Don McKay. What was that like for you in terms? What was your experience of speaking to Ange at the time? How did you feel coming away from that when you met the manager? Well, I thought he had uh, a lot of interesting comments, but the thing that still sticks out to me is that how much that Dom and Ange were a team. The way they were talking, that I don't know if people remember this, but they went to the Scotland. We've talked about this in the pod before. They went to the Scotland England game in the Euros, and 
the way they were talking, it was it was like Dom was a hundred percent Ange's Ange was a hundred percent Dom's pick for the job. The two of them were a team, they were united together. And then only a couple of months later, uh, Dominic and Kai was at the club and Ange was sort of saying stuff like so I just hinted that it might not have been Dom Dom McKay that brought him in. I thought Ange made some good comments, but the the thing that really and I thought I think he will do well, but of course a lot of managers have said good comments and they kind of back it up with the results. But the thing that always sticks out to me is how they were so much a team together, and then only a few months later Dom McKay wasn't at Celtic. I don't think we'll ever really know what happened there, but. That's the the one thing I'll always remember for that day. That was what um that was at the start of July, wasn't it? It was, yes. Yep. Because of course on the seventeenth of July with some fans back at Celtic Park again, we lost one 0 to Preston in a friendly. A lot of people were working themselves into a shoot over what was a nothing game. Only two thousand fans were there, but it was better than none at all. Then we move on a few days later, John, when we played uh, FC Midstland. And uh, it resulted in a 1-1 draw. Leila Bada uh, opened the scoring just before half-time. Vasilis Barkas with the howler. The game ends up one each. And there was like 9,000 in after that. And then we moved on to the West Ham friendly. That was, for me personally, the first time back at Celtic Park again um, since before the lockdown of 2020. And you know, it was a roasting hot day. Yeah, almost nineteen thousand fans there. Um, I was there with my uncle, my granda, and it was just a you know, despite the result and everything, it was just a really, really good feeling again being back at Celtic Park. But an interesting one for me is after that result, I I, I met up with Hamish um, and Ryan from the Celtic the Thunder podcast, and we were just in the bar after it. And despite the fact that we lost six to at home to West Ham, I never came out thinking this season's going to be a disaster. This is going to be a mess because I saw enough when we were going forward to think. I think the manager, if we can get the right players in, we could actually go somewhere under them because we actually looked. We knew what we were doing when we were going forward. And bear in mind, I mean, with Dane Murray and Stephen Welsh at the back in that game as well, it wasn't a full strength Celtic at all at the back. You had Barkas in the first half, being in the second. But despite the result, it was just great to be back at Celtic Park again. And what was the first game that you went back to joining the summer? It wasn't until a couple of months. Uh, it was, wasn't until the season really started. It was the AZ Altmar game that I went to, which was a great win because I think a lot of people thought we were going to lose because they were high flying in the Dutch league last season. I think they're having a poor season this season, but it was a big test for Ange. We won the game, I think it was 2 nothing, and that was the first time I'd been at Celtic Park in almost two years. I mean, I'd seen some games due to my old work uh, that I'd covered, and with no fans there, and that wasn't fun at all. And as I said, <laughs> I'm sticking to my principles and I'm not watching the games behind closed doors. I watched the last 10 minutes in a game against St. Johnson uh, before the break and it was just terrible and just before we started I was watching the Liverpool game against Chelsea and I saw their fans, Liverpool fans going mad when they scored and I thought Pitt we can't get that here for a bit so no, my first game back was easy at that man, I thought it was great, that's been one of the highlights of the season, the fact that the stadiums have been full again and I'm truly hoping that by the time we get back the stadiums will be full again. I have my doubts. I don't want to talk about politics because I know people don't like it. But no, my first game, but it was easier that man. I've been to some other games this season. I've, but we'll talk about our game highlights later. But that was a, a great night. I don't really take it for granted now going back to Celtic Park again. 
because like, pre-lockdown, I was always able to get a ticket one way or another and everything. And then obviously this season, my circumstances have changed when I'm there a bit more regularly. But I don't think that there's anything like it. I mean, if I can talk about going back against West Ham as well, it was just a magical feeling again. And a lot of people probably listening will be going, you're off your head. It's, uh, it's just, you're just going to Celtic Park. But I think after what we've been through and everything, it's not something I would genuinely take for granted ever again. It's not just about on the pitch and it's not more than just a case of going to the game and then back home, you can make a day of it. It's a real escape. And honestly, it's something that me and you were brought up with, John, going to Celtic Park on a Saturday or midweek, and I don't think we're ever going to change in terms of just how great a feeling that actually is, and it's not something that you really can just take for granted anymore after the last 24 months, really. No, especially no now. I mean, I was trying to get, because we had so many games in December, I was trying to get tickets for as many games as I could. I even went to the, the St. Johnson semi-final uh, in the League Cup, and normally I wouldn't have bothered like, <laughs> that where they just tried to get a ticket for the final which unfortunately I couldn't but no you, you can't take it for granted now because you don't know when there's going to be 60,000 fans back at Celtic Park again I mean I would hope that there is by the end of the season I sincerely doubt there'll be any more than 500 when we play Hibs in a couple of weeks time which is a, a drag but we'll just need to go on with it but no you can't take it for granted now maybe in a couple of years time when hopefully things are back to normal we'll just be like I remember the days when you could hardly get a ticket because they weren't letting MD in because of the restrictions but then you don't know but no more than ever you need to never take it for granted because this this COVID thing has changed everything the original thought I know but I mean it's changed football hugely in the last two years I mean you like two years ago this time two years ago you were just getting annoyed about how Celtic could uh, managed to lose to Rangers if I've got that timeline right at uh, Celtic Park and now we don't know when we're going to be back at Celtic Park again and with the whole season and no fans attending football which is you would just never have believed that so no you can never take it for granted now in July wasn't it great we were knocked out of the Champions League in Denmark went down after a 2-1 defeat then a few days later we played Hearts we lost 2-1 there I remember watching that I was at a wedding for my cousin and I had my tablet with me specifically for it and I was like streaming it off my phone and my entire family who are Celtic daft, like a lot of them just watched the first half with me and then I think the rest of them, like um, 90% of them after that, went and just get bevied and forgot about the game and it was they were only like coming up to check the score whereas I was like intently on it. But I remember just watching that second half thinking were actually not as bad as what we were in Denmark. We looked as if we controlled some of the game. You could tell maybe the fitness levels weren't they quite at the levels Ange wanted, but you could see that there was something there. But then we conceded that stupid uh, goal, John Suter scoring in pretty much the last minute. And then Craig Gordon made two amazing saves after that. There was a lot of overreaction after it. People saying, John, we were talking about it earlier, where Celtic were going to finish third and fourth this season. And I just thought that was a nonsense. It was just a case of the manager getting time to get it right. I know this is always something you say that you might not get that time because at Celtic you have to be winning every week and you, you know, you're only a few results away from a total crisis. I was always saying from day one that I liked what Andrew was saying and I believed in the manager and I believed in his sort of philosophies and I did trust his process well with us and I believed that he should always be given a second season no matter how it went this season. 
But what were your initial thoughts, John, after the game against Hearts? You did a recording with Spunk Phone, and I remember you were quite uh, doom and gloom about it. Aye, it was a miserable podcast. The two years were just downbeat as anything. The thing is, we actually should have won that game. I've said that before. On the podcast, we got a goal uh, disallowed that wasn't. Then we had uh, that challenge by Halliday on McGregor, which was, I can't even remember if it was a yellow card by the great Robert Mann. I don't even think it was. So with a couple of dodgy decisions against us, I don't like to talk about that usually, but it just hammed in that game. We're still still one, really. But the way the season has started, the fact that nobody really knew much about Ange and we'd been knocked out of Europe, a game we should have won against um, Midtjylland. But McGregor gave us a lead and then James Forrest missed an absolute sitter to put us 2-0 ahead and the equilibrium right after that. So, and then we'd give away that daft goal in the last minute and somehow failed to find an equaliser even though looked Forrest had a chance that looked probably easily to score but Gordon made the save so I think it was the culmination of so many bad results at the start of the season just going top everybody and I think people were just concerned that it was going after last year's dreadful season it was going to fall on the same footsteps but on reflection we should have won that game I don't think Hearts were in great shakes I We've played them twice since and beat them since. We're playing them again, I think, in a couple of weeks. And I wouldn't be surprised if we beat them again with all the, the influx of players that we've got. But no, you could understand why. I mean, Spunkphone was so downbeat after that game because it was just another bad result and what was a really bad start to the season. Yeah, but things did get better, John. As you said a wee bit earlier on, we did beat AZ Altmar at home. We lost 2-1 away, but we got through to the Europa League group stages after that, and which was a very, very tough game against a good side. And We rode a lucky wee bit, but overall, I'd say we deserved to go through. Before that as well, we dished out some thumpings to Dundee and St Mirren. David Tumble scoring a hat-trick against St Mirren, and then Kyogo scoring a hat-trick against Dundee. John, in August, it was actually a far better month, wasn't it? You were starting to see what the manager wanted to do with this team, how he wanted to play. And not only that, you were starting to see like guys who were completely out of form and their confidence was shattered last season. They picked up under Ange, such as Tom Rogic, uh, Ryan Christie as well, and of course, Anthony Ralston. I'll talk more about uh, Ryan Christie later. But no, their performances against Dundee and St. Mum were excellent. I think we need to take into account the fact that they were only very good and St. Mum did get a guy sent off but that shouldn't take away from the fact that we were attacking non-stop scored him some excellent goals David Tumble as you say scored a hat-trick I know he's not everybody's cup of tea but I think he'll be badly missed because he's got this yet another injury we've got he's going about for a couple of months so hopefully he's back sooner than that and Kyogo what a start a hat-trick in his first game at Celtic Park and he's not looked back ever since he's been I know we're going to talk about signings later on more but he's been phenomenal and it's just a pity that since day two games, we've not really managed to go on a, a goal frenzy since. I know we scored four against Dundee. Uh, I think it was last month when we beat them 4-2, or it was, or it was the end of November. But they were two great performances, and I think a lot of more people bought into what Andrew was thinking after uh, day two, 6-0 wins. We then went to Ibrooks. That was on the 29th of August, John. And what were your feelings going into that one? Because... <laughs> I did think we would actually gub them. Rangers weren't playing well at all. They had just won against Alish Kert, I think it was. They beat them 1-0 at home and they struggled to an 0-0 draw away. It was one of the worst performances I'd actually seen from a Scottish team in Europe. But, you know, they still got through. But they were abysmal. They then had McGregor. Gerard at the time ruled out with COVID too. I know that he's not a player, of course. But 
when the manager was ruled out, you're thinking, oof, we could uh, do all right here. Am I right in saying they had a couple other players out as well as that? Um, they had the second choice goalkeeper out as well, and they had uh, the third choice and goal, uh, McCrory. But I think that's really old. I think the rest of the first team players were playing. But Gerard wasn't there, as you said. But no, some of you I thought with a good chance of winning. But I probably should have known better because it was familiar feelings that let us down in that game. It was like those 20 minutes, John, that we spoke about. They were so crucial from 45 minutes to 65 minutes. Like Celtic really just needed to either shut up shop or they needed to take a chance because we were the better team in the first half, but you knew Rangers were going to come out and they were going to be different in the second half. And they were, I thought they controlled it from that period in the 20 minutes. And then Hollander scores in 66 minutes. And then they just sit in and we found it hard to break them down. But in saying that, we still created chances. We actually created more when Kyogo went through the middle. And John, that's one thing that the manager's done, isn't it? He said that he would never move Kyogo out wide again in such a big game. Of course, he did it against St. Johnston where we won 2-0 a month later or maybe a couple of months later, I think that was in October. But for the big games, such as like, um, you know, matches in Europe and everything after that, Kyogo was through the middle. So you've got to say fair play there, but if Kyogo started that game through the middle, John, it's probably going to be a different result, isn't it? He takes the chance that Edward missed, for example. Probably, but don't forget, we did give away a goal for a set piece, as usual, and much as our defence defending has been good this season, we've got the best record in the, the league, but still... A dodgy set pieces. We gave that goal away. It was a, I think, the, inter- the whole of last season, a lot of goals we gave away against Rangers were set pieces. They're really good at that. I'd imagine when we play them in a, at the start of next month, they'll be focusing on set pieces again and we'll really need to defend them much better. And I think Hugo has played in the wing. The wing. I don't know. I think he might have came on in the wing against uh, Livingston when we drew with him at Parkhead. He, came, he didn't start that game. And of course, we ended up drawing points against Livingston, who are our bogey team, of course. But no, I think, for the most part, Kyogo will be through the middle. I'm not sure what will happen now with the the new signings, if the scope to maybe play two up front. I'm not sure what the manager will do about that. But no, I mean, I hope we learn the lessons for that game, which is take your chances and defend set pieces better. And for the most part, we've done that. But we still do miss too many chances and we're still dodgy at set pieces. So I hope, I don't know if the players are training this week, they're probably not training until next week, that they're two big areas that we're going to work on. At the end of August, it was that game against Rangers that I remember <laughs> uh, I picked up the wonderful Delta variant of COVID. When did you get COVID in 2021? I didn't. I got it in 2020. At the very start, yeah, when we played, who was it? St. Johnson. Remember we played St. Johnson in the Scottish Cup, we beat them one nothing. Chris Julian. Chris Julian, that was when I had COVID. That's when, because I, I just thought I'd like the flu. I, I couldn't get, I couldn't get up off the chair, and not because I was, not because I was lazy for once. <laughs> I couldn't get up to go to bed. I just thought this is terrible, and uh, I had to phone my mom and say, "I, I can't go to bed. This is ridiculous." And then all of a sudden, like, I think there'd been talk about COVID then, but it wasn't the the huge thing it is now but no I got it right at the very start yeah when it was just like becoming the thing that was going to define the next two years an illness trendsetter John that's what you are I was yes but you got it 
last year that I remember you I never got it thankfully last year. My mum just had it a couple of weeks ago, but she's just alright now. But no, you had it last you had it last year, that's right, eh? I did I wanted to touch on the game against Rangers being obviously a disappointment for the result. But it was that day that I remember ordering a Domino's, right? Because I woke up and I had like a rolling sausage and I thought, this is weird, I can't taste this. The night before I'd been out at Slouch with a wonderful company, but of course I don't bring up my personal life on this. <laughs> Anyway, I was out in Slouch the night before, and during the Rangers game, I was like, okay, this is strange, I can't taste the humble Roman sausage. So I went and got a Domino's, Now I hate Domino's, um, it's truly the, the worst of the pizza biz, but they give you like a pizza and they give you that Frank's hot sauce with it, so I thought, yeah, this, this will determine, if I can't taste the hot sauce, then there's a problem here. So I got the pizza, again, couldn't taste a thing, but more alarmingly, John, I couldn't taste the hot sauce either, and that's when it came up with the two lines, and I thought, there's me away. So I, not only did Rangers gub us, but that was the day that I tested positive for COVID as well. Then the PCR came through a few days later, and it did indeed confirm the suspicions, John. So All right, I couldn't, I couldn't remember when PCR tests started. I wasn't sure if there were PCR tests back in August. But did your like members of your family not get COVID as well, or at the same time? They did, yeah. My mum had it as well, and then my dad got it like a week or so later. He got it really bad, but thankfully everyone's recovered now. But aye, great stuff. Rangers governors and uh, me not being able to get out of bed for a week. Brilliant stuff indeed. Even better, we were meant to be doing a podcast that day in person, don't forget. So we were, that's right. Imagine I turned up and I made you know well. The podcast would have ended that day because of that, because of that outrage, but... Thankfully not. The podcast soldiers on. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and so did Celtic. So there was a break and then we came back. And in September, our league record wasn't too great. We did beat Ross County 3-0. Cameron Carter Vickers scoring on his debut. But then Livingston beat us 1-0 at the Anthony Macaroni Arena. And then we dropped points against Dundee United. It wasn't all bad. We might have lost against um, Betis as well. But it wasn't a terrible performance over in Spain, John. Overall in September, I just want to reaffirm to the listeners, we did get thumped off by a Leverkusen too. But overall as well, you could see signs in that Betis game, John, that you know it was encouraging. Well, maybe we still managed to give away points for a promising position, which we also did against Leverkusen away. But no, that Livingston... Okay, that's right, the performance wasn't that bad and we probably should have won that game, but Livingston performance was dreadful. I know we never had Kyogo and that showed when he wasn't playing how much he was going to be a huge miss for us. But that Livingston performance was terrible. I think Rangers drew that day, so it wasn't the the real bolt could have been. But that is the biggest memory for me for September. The fact that we struggled yet again at Livingston, it's just unbelievable how We've had so many managers that have struggled there, even Brendan Rogers, so guy that won every trophy when he was here, had a hard time there. At Dungeon United, they actually started the season well, so maybe that still a bad result to draw home, but maybe that wasn't a shock. They've really tailed off since and when we played them in November. No, no, we played them at the start of last month, we we demolished them. I suppose that wasn't as much of a shock, but it's still a bad to drop points at home. I think that was really but, I mean, we, we did sign Jota and Carl Vickers as well, and they well, like, just started to make an imprint in the team, as you said, Carl Vickers scored in his debut. And after his first few games, you knew that Jota was going to be a big player for us. 
So that was a sort of up and down month, I'd say, September. We had some decent results, but some really bad ones as well. Yeah, I wanted to touch on Jota as well, though, because it was the Betis game, John. The reason I said there was signs of encouragement, it's not about like going to an up and then losing 4-3, of course. That was annoying. It was more the individual performances there, because I thought, you know, Juranovic was excellent in that game against them. But Jota, that's when you, you really saw that he could be a big, big player for us. And it was a game on the big stage, and he really excelled in that match. Ah, he's been excellent. Not been my favourite player this season, but he's definitely been up there. And he's yet another player that when he's not playing Celtic, miss him badly. He's been out for weeks. We've still managed to soldier on, and we'll talk about that later. But no, you could tell already that he was going to be a, a big player for us this season. And you know, the fans love him. They love that kind of player that's a tricky winger, but it's got an end product as well. A lot of wingers don't have end products, but Jota has this season. and. Hopefully he's back very soon for the big games coming up in a few weeks. Moving on to October now, John. A very ugly win over Aberdeen. I can't imagine if we dropped points in that game, the state we would have been in. It was like a new statement win from us. Because I remember, John, I had been complaining that Celtic were either bodying teams and they were very comfortable or we were dropping points if, we, if things weren't going our way. But against Aberdeen, it was a real stuffy game, we weren't able to play our fluid, expansive, dynamic style of football, we really had to dig in, um, Furuhashi opened the scoring with a very like, it's a really clever goal where he chested it in then Lewis Ferguson, another set piece goal wasn't it John, we conceded, Lewis Ferguson made it one each and then after that it was like, there wasn't a lot of chances created in the midfield it was like just it was just a, a, an overall scrappy game of football, both teams weren't able to control it at all but then Adam Montgomery, who took a lot of pelters that game, broke the lines, cut the ball back for Jota, who darted in from the right into the centre, made it 2-1. It was a crucial goal for us, John, in which was a game that, really, we couldn't afford to drop points in. We couldn't afford to drop points because I think we were in it nine points behind. Uh, and we really had we really had to win it. The, as you said, it wasn't the best performances, but the goals were really good. Uh Kyogo's chested, chested it in when a, a lot of players would have looked ahead in and I thought that was really clever football. And as you said, Adam Montgomery's no featured much this season, but that was a big moment when he passed it for Jota and that was Jota doing what he does best, getting into positions in the box to finish off. And it really was a big one because I think if we hadn't won that game, there really would have been big pressure on the manager. I mean, I know he's under pressure, a lot as it is, but we hadn't went on a run then. And I think if we'd lost that game, even drawn, there would have been real pressure on the manager. So that was a big win for us. And then the big wins continued after that, John. We went to Fir Park in Easter Road, picked up maximum points there. We also beat St Johnston 2-0 with GG scoring as well. We had a weird kickoff time against Ferenc Faros. We won that game 2-0. We'll talk about that goal in a wee second by Kyogo. Could have been the perfect one if we beat Livingston at home, but no. We drew a 0-0 and then missed a last-minute penalty. Gigi, who was a hero, of course, against Johnston, was indeed the villain in that match and will always be lamenting that fact that why did Juranovic not hit that penalty. But anyway, if I can get your brief thoughts on October and the highlight, which was no doubt Kyogo's wonderful goal against Ferenc Varos. That was a fantastic goal, but I'd like to uh, talk about the Hibs win at Easter Road as well. We hadn't won there for years apart from a Scottish Cup win and we were 3-0 up by, I think, 30 minutes or at least 40 minutes were well, 3-0 I thought that was a brilliant performance uh, Ralston scored I think uh, Kyogo scored as well Carl Vickers scored 
But the thing is, it wasn't on TV, which was the annoying part. And the same night, Rangers were drawn 2 to Aberdeen when their old pal Scott Brown scored. And I think that got the gap down to two points. And I think, if we'd, as you said, if we'd beat Livingston, we'd have went ahead before Rangers went to far part and put them under huge pressure. But I was at that Livingston game and it was a stinker. I mean, we, we just didn't contribute anything much at all. We They just put men behind the ball and we struggled. And then that penalty at the end by Gigi was bad. But... No, there was more positive that month than negatives. The win at Fur Park was good. Tom Rogic was fantastic that day. Easter Road win as well. As I said, we rarely win there in the league. So that was a, a real statement result. And as you said, that weird kick-off game against Ferenc Varos when we played, I think, like half three on a Tuesday afternoon. There was a, still a massive attendance there. And we scored and a goal that I think has been forgotten about and it shouldn't be because it was absolutely fantastic when no come on no but, us. Went and, no but us but UEFA went and said it was the goal of the Europa League as well and UEFA of course hate us so <laughs> it must be true <laughs> oh well I didn't see that but good on them then but no it was an amazing goal it reminded me of a goal that John Hartson scored against Hearts Boxing Day uh, 2002 it was like Alan Thompson with like a big crossfield pass and he volleyed it first time it was, in fact, I saw the highlights to that game on YouTube a couple of weeks ago and I'd been looking for them for years. Uh, yeah, I've been looking for... Is that on YouTube now? I've been looking for that because I, I was looking for that particular goal by Hartson. It's now on YouTube. I Celtic 4, Hearts 2, uh, 2002. Oh, there we go. But uh, no, uh, that was the goal it was like. It was a brilliant uh, vision by Jota and Hugo took it first time in the volley and that just showed how good those two players are. They're... I, I know that people going about how we're a one-man team or a two-man team at times, and unfortunately at times I think that might be true, but it was shown how that is a positive with that goal, and where we see, where you show I know, um, I even know I think Ange is doing a good job, I, I'm one of the guys that sort of thinks we shouldn't go overboard yet, because we're still six points behind Rangers, we'll talk about that more later, but you can tell that we have made progress when the fact that we comfortably beat Ferencvaros twice, when last season we, of course, crashed out of the Champions League qualifiers to them, thanks to our old pal Lenny, who then threw the players under the bus. But no, that shows that there was progress, and if it wasn't for that penalty match against Livy and injury time, it would have been the perfect month. Indeed, and John, you'd be the perfect co-host, but I just have to point out there, and I know this might seem pernickety, but it wasn't a first-time volley by Kyogo. It was a wonderful first touch, and then it was a brilliant finish where he slotted it under the keeper. So, sorry, John, but you have to get that right if you want to continue on this show. You bastard. Thank you. Now, if we go to November now, before we talk about any games, the much-maligned Anthony Ralston signed a new contract. How deserved was that for him, John? Hugely deserved, you would, I know this has been a weird season, weird last couple of years for so many reasons, but if anybody thought Anthony Ralston is going to be Celtic's first choice right back and is going to get in the Scotland squad and sign a long-term deal, you'd think, what's going on here? Because he seemed so far out of the picture. But last year he only played one game and that was when practically everybody in the team had to pull out the game because of the Dubai trip and so many players were ruled out because of COVID close contacts. Didn't they feature again? With so many injuries at the start of the season, they ended up playing. It has been brilliant. And he fully deserves his contract. He deserved to get in the Scotland squad. I, I think he'd play for Scotland if it wasn't for the other right-backs that's in the national team. But he's been fantastic. He's I don't think he'll win player of the year or anything. He'll maybe win like, the Celtic player of the year. I actually think Kyogo should win player of the year, but you never know. With Scottish football, probably Craig 
best goalkeeper ever, apparently, Gordon. But uh, no, Anthony Olsen's been fantastic. That is something that nobody would have saw coming at the start of the season. Good on him. We had a narrow loss against Leverkusen in November, but we did win in Hungary. And of course, we had two wins in the league. We beat Dundee 4 2 away and we beat Aberdeen 2 1 at home. What was the standout for you in the matches? Uh, probably Kyogo's uh, performance at Dundee. He scored twice. It was fantastic. Jota was good that day as well, as I recall. The one in Ferencvaros was good too. We scored some excellent goals. And it was one of the away wins in Europe that Celtic don't usually do. I mean, for us in Europe, it's usually either concede an early goal or score an early goal, then concede an equaliser. But no, that game we were mostly comfortable. They did score a goal, I think, in the last 10 minutes to make it like slightly antsy. But no, Celtic were comfortable and the attacking football was excellent. I mean, Lula Bada scored an excellent goal. And that's probably the highlight of the month. Being able to go away in Europe and win, and that win did secure the place in the Europa Conference after after Christmas as well. John, when it comes to the Europa League group that we were in in general, I mean, it wasn't easy. We are up against a really good Bayer Leverkusen side. Real Betis, I mean, <laughs> at one point, I think when we were playing them, John, they were third in La Liga. And Ferenc Varos, who are the Hungarian champions, but we didn't disgrace ourselves at all. And I know that you can look back and say, well, we get beat 4-0 against Leverkusen, but we created a lot of chances. It was just a wee bit of naivety. And what was good is the manager learned from that as well. Yes, we still played the same style of football against Leverkusen as we did at home when we went to the Arena. But at the same time, players had gelled more by then and they were a lot more comfortable with each other. There was a better chemistry there. And what about JJ's penalty in uh, Germany? I completely forgot to talk about that. It was exquisite. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was gallus, as they say in Scotland. By the way, Betis are still third in La Liga. So that tells you how good a season they're having. The Europa League overall, you can't say it was a success because we didn't qualify. And I think it was a case of missed opportunities, especially when you consider that we were winning in Germany and in Spain. But we did still get European football after Christmas and as a team rebuilding. I know I might be against the green a bit here, but I, I still think like going out a European competition can be labelled a success. There are caveats, obviously, and we are still in Europe. But no, it was... The the wins were good, but the, the defeats, <laughs> always common and all, the defeats were disappointing because if you take away the first Leverkusen game at home where we get hammered, we, we could have got we could have got points from those other two away games, and that is that'll be a disappointment. I think when we look back at the season, that'll be a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, I know, especially you know with Betis as well. It was just Anthony Ralston, who we have obviously praised, let us down um, over in Betis. I think for one of the goals, and then when we're two and all up, two one up, sorry, against Leverkusen, if he's a bit more composed instead of just punting it. Um, over to the right-hand side and they get the goal just a wee bit after it and then they go on to win 3-2 because Anthony Ralston as much as we're talking negatively now and we're going to talk about the heroics of him in Dingwall in a wee bit but then moving on to December John we I mean we were unbeaten in December we picked up pretty much maximum points in every game we could apart from the game against St Mirren and Paisley but a cup hangover if anything. But your overall thoughts in December, John, for a Celtic side who were running on empty and still managed to drag themselves through each and every game, apart from the one against the Mirren? Well, it has to be considered a success because we won the, the League Cup and that winner by Kyogo was just sublime. The way we managed to loft it over the goal, the way 
showed that typical Celtic fighting spirit we always drone on about that people probably hate when we hadn't played well. We conceded a goal and then from kickoff we equalised and Kyogo's first goal was brilliant as well. And the celebrations at the end were great. Unfortunately, I was self-isolating as a close contact because of that goddamned COVID. So I had to celebrate by drinking uh, cider in my bedroom, which I probably would have done anyway. But uh, as you said, the team were running on empty. We've so many. I know we don't like to use excuses because they're for losers. <laughs> but the injuries up front have just been dreadful. I mean, even somebody like James Forrest, he, came, he comes back, scores the semi-final winner against St. Johnson, and then he's hardly been seen since. Tom Rogic was out for a while. Jota is still out. He's been badly missing. We had to rest Kyogo for... St Mirren, with had players missing probably through COVID. I mean, Joe Hart, Carl McGregor. We did well, really, in December. I guess many points we did. We made so many games. I think before we played all the games, we were in a, a panic that we, we can't have dropped so many points. We've got the derby at the start of January. But then, of course, because of this new variant, that things have been pushed back a few weeks. We're now playing Rangers at the start of February. If the game isn't postponed because of the international call-up rule, we'll need to see what happens there. But no, overall, apart for the St Mirren result, which didn't surprise me because when teams play against us and they've got so many men behind the ball, we're missing so many key players up front. It's always going to be hard. It's probably still someone that game. I mean, we did miss some right good chances. And we're still six points behind. But no, overall, the same was a success. We beat Betis. We managed to grind out wins in the league for the most part, and we won the first domestic trophy of the season. So, December has to be considered a success. A pity about St Mirren, we did make up for them by beating St Johnson. Unfortunately, the first game played under restrictions. But the clubs did the right thing and pushing it back for a couple of weeks so we can try and buy time and see what happens. And John, of course, let's talk about the main win in December, the SPFL, pushing the winter break forward so that there's no games behind closed doors. Well, two games could have been behind closed doors, which we just did not want to ever see again. No, but as I said earlier, I think the ball still be games behind closed doors. I mean, even if they, they change it up to like 20% full, okay, that's still no good. But I mean, it's still be like 15,000 fans. I mind at the start of the season, who was it we played Dundee? And like, they had a percentage out of the crowd and, and it was much better rather than 500 fans, which is just a nonsense, basically. And, okay, I know some people have said that Celtic were lobbying for it because we've got injuries. I don't think so. It's just the, most of the teams voted to get their winter break put back. It was the right thing to do. I mean, I know that the lower divisions are still playing. I, I suppose they have to, really. But, no, f- football is just so bad without, uh, without fans. I mean, I know you watched the St. John's game. I think I only watched the last couple of minutes. I just, I just couldn't cope with it. I mean, it's dreadful. And I really hope that if, when football's back in a couple of weeks, that there's only going to be one or two games played behind closed doors because that just is unwatchable. I mean, the thought of that Celtic Park, the game against Hibs, it's got to be a big game. Or some of our new players might be playing. And yet they're all, their debut's got to be a big, huge occasion. It's only going to be with 500 fans here. That's just no good for anybody. Behind closed doors football isn't real football. Um, and football genuinely, without sounding like a, a cliche here, is for the fans. It's, Scottish football is nothing without it. So simply it just can't happen. Especially when we're looking the now 
Rafa go in the background on Chelsea and Liverpool, and it's like a full house there. I mean, that should be happening here in January. Hopefully, they, without getting too political and slagging the government off, hopefully they do see sense and numbers do go down and we can get the fans back in because the, the, the thought of that COVID ball coming back is enough to make my heart go groan, to be honest <laughs> with you, brother. Thank you. Now, I covered all the months here, John. So if you didn't already know, I was on 67 Hail Hail and Hogmanay and we were doing like something similar to this where it was like talking about Celtic's new signings, talking about like the season so far um, and in general, favourite player to watch, favourite signing, favourite game. So I've already given my answers, but I'm going to now ask you the same sort of things, John. Who has been your favourite Celtic player to watch so far this season? Well, it has to be Kyogo. He's generally, I think, Celtic's best striker since Henry Larson. For his all-around game, the goals that he scores, he's fearless. He's just been absolutely fantastic, especially when you consider the injury problems he's had, the fact that he played so many games in Japan last season. He's been uh, my player of the year by a mile, and I think he's Scotland's player of the year by a mile. He probably won't be, but he should be. No, definitely Hugo. When you see him live as well, he's all action, everywhere trying to get the ball and help his teammates and you always see it when like the opposition are passing the ball back. He's always the first guy, the goalkeeper, to put him under pressure. No, Kilo has been absolutely fantastic. My favourite player this year by a mile. So I'm going to assume then, in the next category, he's been your favourite signing as well. Well, he has been, but I'd also like to say Cameron Carter-Vickers as well. I think he's been excellent. He's a no-nonsense defender. We've needed that at Celtic Park, especially when you consider that I like Carol Starfield, but... And I thought he had come on to a game, but the last couple of weeks in particular, he's, he's been ropey. We're still with Chris for Julian, although apparently he might be back in time for the game against Hibs. I don't know if he'll play in that game, but even if he's back in the squad, that's good news. So I'd, I'd, I'd have to pick uh, Kyogo after my raving about him, but no, I need to give a, a shout out for Cameron Carl Vickers. He's been excellent, and i seen the other day in the press, so it must be true that we're trying to get the deal done to sign him permanently, and that would be a, a great deal for us. What's been your favourite game in the Ange regime so far? Well, I'll pick two. I'll pick one I was at and one I wasn't at. So uh, for the one I was at, I'll need to pick Alkmaar again because it was my first game back at Celtic Park in two years. It was a, a big game. We had to win. Alkmaar were a decent team, and we were smart and sensible. We went 2 nothing. Kyogo again scored another classic goal after Tom Rogic set him up. It was just great to be back and have a European night at Celtic Park. I went to some of the home games as well, and the Samaritan game, the 6 0 game, that was good as well. The semi final against uh, St. Johnson was good with the tributes to Bertie Old. The atmosphere was great that night. And so, my two games are the AZ Armour game and for the game I wasn't at, the Cup final, because it was good to see Celtic win a trophy again after not winning any last year. You could see how much it meant to the players, to Ange, to Carl McGregor in particular, because it was. His first trophy as a captain, the goal to win it is one I'll be remembered for a long time. So they're my favourite games of the year so far. All right, next part then, John. We bit different here to the questions posed to me by Hamish at 67 Hail Hail. But is there a player you wish we had kept if we had the chance to? So of all the players that left in the summer, what one do you still wish was at Celtic under Ange? Ryan Christie. He sort of flopped in his last game for us against Rangers, but in that Dundee game, I think it was, he was absolutely fantastic. I think he had three assists, three or four assists. You could see that he was thriving in Andrew's system. I thought he started off the season brilliantly, and 
I knew because his weird contract there was no chance of him staying. I thought that there might have been some slight chance that I no no that Edward might have stayed, even though that was unlikely. But I knew that Christie would never stay because he's contracting. I feel that's a shame. I think he'd have been excellent for Ange in his style of football. I know, as I said, he didn't play that good against Rangers at Ibrox. He never really did much against Rangers. But no, he showed against Dundee. He was just fantastic that day. And I thought, if only he'd stay, you could see how good he was going to be under Ange this season. He'd probably have got a host of assists and goals. So that may be a bit of a surprise if people would have thought I might pick Ayer or Eddie who obviously are huge, were huge players for us in the last couple of years, but no, Ryan Christie had to go for. No, who would you pick then? I would have went with Chris Iyer. Um I miss Chris Iyer in terms of running out of defence with the ball. He could carry us out. I don't think CCV or Starfelt can do that. I thought Iyer, especially in a Celtic team, you know, what the Celtic team tend to do is get the ball right to McGregor, and then McGregor carries us out of defence from midfield. But Chris Iyer, you know, could do that so, so well. And yeah, the midfield last season um, really suffered, of course, and they weren't energetic or enthusiastic enough whatsoever. But I think with Chris Iyer marching us out of defence under Ange, um, freeing up the, this midfield, and the likes of McGregor wouldn't have to have so much responsibility on him with the ball. He could certainly receive it a bit higher up the park, where he could be a bit more influential. I'd have loved to have seen that, John, but... It's working out so far, and of course, there's no bitterness towards guys like Edward and Ayer and everything, and even Christa that left. They had to move on, they'd have the right to go, and Celtic, as always, have recovered anyway, John. So, just before we head off as well, there's a real cult of Ange, and a lot of Celtic fans now are just, you know, united behind them more than ever, me included. John, you've known me for such a long time. and Too long. <laughs> I, um, you know, with Brendan Rodgers... I thought he was just out for Brendan Rodgers alone. It was like he was a PR machine just for himself. I think the last manager, you know, I really, really took to would probably have been Martin O'Neill when he first came in in two thousand. It was like a, you know he galvanised the club and everything he said was just he said all the right things. Basically, to get you right behind him and you just rooted for him. And obviously, it was all backed up with the fact that on the pitch he got his back to being a dominant force in Scotland again and. No longer in Europe, we'll be embarrassed. We were battering some right good sides um, in the continent, and I'm hoping we can do that under Ange long term as well. But if I can get your opinion on it, because for, the reason I buy into Ange is because I've said time and time again, I find him really honest. I find him so upfront, and I trust everything he says. I believe he's a very down to earth and humble guy, and all, all the qualities that he does possess, John, I can just see they're just everything you want in a Celtic manager. And hopefully, in time, he'll be a, a multiple trophy winner with us. He's already won one. But why do you think the fans are just so so behind them um, and are desperate to see him succeed? What's your what's your take on it, and what's your general thoughts on Ange personally as well? Right. Okay. Uh, the first part, I think, a lot of that's to do with last season. Uh, for a start. Because last season was so terrible. Like, you had fans protesting and everything. That doesn't happen at Celtic Park often. You had no fans at the stadiums as well, which I think was a big part of it. But the fact that the season was done by this time last season, I mean, it was, I think this time last year we played Rangers at Ibrox and managed to lose 1-0, even though Rangers didn't have a shot on target. I think that puts something ridiculous, like 20 points at least behind. So, I mean, it's nothing like it this season. I think Ange is a very charismatic guy. You could tell that if he went... I spoke to him at that thing last at the start of the season. 
and he, he plays good football, maybe no all the time. And I, I don't think it's this all out attacking thing that people thought was going to happen. But when we click, we do play good football. We've, I mean, the signings we've made look good. Kyogo and Jota, especially. The board seem to buy it, you because know, they've signed three guys for Japan this week and Celtic never do that ever. So the board are happy. But I mean, I think he's done quite well. I'll go, I'll go that far. I can understand why people are behind him, and I am as well. And as you say, there's a bit of a cult behind him. I, I don't think he's as good as Martin O'Neill. I mean, Martin O'Neill's first game against Rangers won 6-2, and he had a bit of a big rebuild as well. So he's no Martin O'Neill. He's not on that level, not yet. Hopefully one day he will be. I mean, I don't know. He's probably the second tier of managers in there. He's at Celtic, he's no Brendan Rodgers either, and he's probably even no as good as <laughs> the man we will not name. Who, when he was doing well, he was a good Celtic manager. I'm sure he'll be better than him in time. Uh, so no, I can understand why there's a a, a huge groundswell of support bands because we all want Celtic to do well and win. And if the manager's doing well, then that means Celtic are doing well. But I do think people are going a bit overboard at times. I mean, I know I've seen people going about how brilliant the season's been so far. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, it's been good, but once we're able to beat Rangers, if we beat Rangers in a couple of weeks and go on a run, then it's got a chance of being better than brilliant. So, no, I think Andrew's doing well, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go overboard. But I can understand why people do because he's a charismatic guy. He's won a trophy, tells it like it is, and I can see why people back him so vehemently and. I have to say the club, the club seem to be backing him as well, which I'm surprised about because Celtic will ever do that. So I think I'm just doing fine. I'll just leave it at that. You're a harsh man, John Reed, but I, I wouldn't know you any other way. I can understand people why people are going overboard, but it's too early yet. One, if we get if we manage to beat Rangers, then I'll be fully on board the the Andrew bus. Now I'm sort of now I'm waiting for it to arrive. I'm sending it to the bus stop. Uh, of course, you won't be buying the ticket. Somebody else will be paying it for you. Well, no, of course. I'll, I'll try and sneak in. This has been a bit of a bumper gig pod, but we'll be back to our usual half-hour show the next time we do a pod, which is hopefully going to be next week. We'll try and do that Q&A one, or we'll preview the Hibs game as well. But hi, John. It's been good to speak to you, and we're going to look into doing some archive interviews to keep folk going over the winter break as well, aren't we? We are indeed, yes. But it's uh, good to be back in gig pod, and Thanks to all our wonderful uh, listeners for supporting us this season. Great bunch of lads and lassies. All right, everyone, I'll let John do the sign-off. So thanks for tuning in, if you have indeed not fell asleep half an hour uh, into the show. I'm Stevie. It's been great to chat to you. It's been great to be back on GigPod. And John, I'll let you do the honours. Right, thanks, everybody, for listening. You can catch us on all the usual podcast platforms. You know them all by now, and you can leave us reviews and ratings, etc., etc. As Stevie says, we'll be back soon. We'll speak to you all soon. Hail, hail.
Social Podcast Network.